Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, recorded on January 28th, Saturday, right before tip-off of the Miami Heat game. I've got a great episode for you. I'm joined by Jacob Kivenhoven, who did a great job putting together a list of potential trades and also discussing trade rumors with Ben Galker and myself. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Uh, and I just want to quickly thank everyone for the continued support of this podcast. This podcast is, of course, proudly part of the DetroitBadBoys.com, the SB Nation site, which hosts this podcast and has also hosted a lot of great content recently. Definitely check out DetroitBadBoys.com. It's your daily source for Pistons news and a site you should be checking daily. To continue to support the podcast, the best way to do so, subscribe on iTunes, rate us, and go ahead and give us five stars on iTunes if you do so, please. And continue to share this podcast as we continue to grow this audience. Thank you so much. And now... It's time to go to work. All right, so I'm actually pretty excited about this episode because it's getting to, as Stan Van Gundy calls it, the crazy time of the year in which everyone's using the trade machine, uh, checking trade rumors daily on Twitter, debunking rumors and and seeing who's on the block and who's not up for sale. Uh, It's definitely a crazy time of the year for NBA fans. So we decided to have an entire episode devoted to the idea of the huge, if true, trade rumor. So we're going to run through some trades that are actually put together by Jacob Kivenhoven, go through these trades and... Talk about each one, get an idea of what, Jacob, what you were thinking, and then also kind of get an idea from Ben and myself what what we think of it and what we think as Pistons fans. Uh, so yeah, I think this is going to be a fun one. And then of course, DBB community, let us know what you think and how all of these trades are terrible, or that you love all of them. We might be moving some, some big players on this episode, so I hope you're ready. Uh, strap in. So let me start with some introductions before we get too far. Uh, as I said, these trades were all done by Jacob Kivenhoven. Jacob, I'm glad to have you on, and I'm excited to talk about some of these trades you put together. Oh, me too. Thank you. I mean, that was a nice little ego boost to say that about myself. <laughs> of course. That's right. I do what I can. And uh, joining us, as always, is Ben Galker. How are you, Ben? Doing great. I'm also very excited about this. Um, I think, understandably, all of us are probably a little worn down after a tough year, so... Let's talk about what might be instead of what is. So let's do this. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good way to think about it. Uh, Just to to have some fun at this point in the season. So let's start at the top with a trade that was tweeted out by Mark Stein. Ooh, we're talking talking big rumors here. This was the Ricky Rubio for Reggie Jackson swap that was discussed in the middle of this week. Uh, I know it gained a lot of comments and a buzz from the DBB community. So it's one we have to start with. And the trade that was rumored in the trade, Jacob, that I think um, from at least your understanding of it was going to be Reggie Jackson in Minnesota for Ricky Rubio and Shabazz Muhammad. So what's kind of the rationale behind that trade? And then what were your thoughts uh, when you heard the news that this was a rumored trade? I wasn't really surprised from Minnesota's perspective. I think anyone who's been paying attention to the Wolves for the past year and a half knows that they're getting a little bit tired of Ricky Rubio. He's not a perfect fit with their other guys who sort of require the ball in their hands to be successful at the highest level you'd want them to be. So Ricky Rubio is really a good fit in every way except his shooting, but the shooting just isn't coming around. So I can see Minnesota trying to move on from him for someone who 
provides a little bit more in that department. From the Pistons' perspective, I think I was joined by most Pistons fans here not quite understanding it. I think Ricky Rubio is an underrated player for sure, but I wouldn't say that the Pistons really are looking for another ball-dominant non-shooter, but they might be getting pretty tired of Reggie Jackson too. I wasn't surprised to see Reggie Jackson in trade rumors, but um, I was kind of surprised that this was the guy that they were going after, but he's a guy who's very available, so I'm not surprised. And Stan Van Gundy didn't deny at all that there had been talks. So I guess they were just exploring whether they could make a deal work, whether it would actually be beneficial for both sides, and whether the Pistons really had any interest in Rubio. And turns out that they probably didn't. I mean, I think Rubio would be an interesting fit, and I'd like to see how it works, but I wouldn't want to give up on Reggie Jackson uh, just for the luxury of seeing how it worked. Yeah, and I'll just add that if you get a chance listening to this to read Ben Qualiata's piece on why this trade might not work if the Pistons were going to play the same way and Ricky Rubio in the pick and roll, I thought that was a really interesting article and an interesting way of thinking about changing out the point guard in this team and how it would affect the offense. Uh, because I was definitely surprised. I guess I wasn't surprised by having Reggie Jackson in trade rumors. I think we're kind of getting to that point that if the team is going to make a bigger move, that he might be one of the names that's included. Uh, but the swap with Ricky Rubio was kind of fascinating to me. Ben, what did you think of it? Well, on the upside, I I am one of those players who's a little bit sick of Reggie Jackson. I just don't know if he's good enough to carry the load he's carrying. So I was intrigued, and I was actually a little bit happy to hear that the Pistons were involved in talks. But with that said... You know, I don't think Ricky Rubio is really all that good. Um, and when I was thinking about it, like, I, I was thinking in my head, is he really significantly better than Ish Smith? I mean, they both have a lot of the same strengths and weaknesses. And obviously, Ricky's probably a little bit better player and certainly has a bigger reputation. But, um, you know, they're very similar players in the sense that they don't shoot the ball very well, but they are good with the basketball and they're good passers. Um, I don't. You know, I don't know a ton about Ricky's defense other than to, to know that it's been criticized a little bit over the course of his career. So I don't know if he's an upgrade over Reggie on that end of the court. But um, I, I don't – I like the, the way Jacob just said it. I'm not sure it's time to give up on Reggie Jackson if the payoff is Ricky Rubio. And sort of the sweetener, Shabazz Muhammad, you know, I I don't know if the Pistons even need him. With Reggie Bullock back and playing, I think, relatively well, and Stanley Johnson seeming to have broke out whatever funk he was in for the first 30 or 40 games, I don't know if it makes sense to, to bring in a guy like Shabazz and if there's even room in that backcourt rotation for him. So, yeah, on the one hand, I'm, I'm glad the Pistons are open to moving Reggie because I think that should be a live question right now. Um, we, we've seen enough of him to, to have a fairly good amount of information to know whether or not he makes sense long-term, but I don't think this was the trade that uh, made sense for the Pistons. And I think just to add something about Rubio, I mean, I, I, his defense hasn't fared super well by a lot of people who watch his game and then give their opinions on various you know, broadcasts and podcasts and stuff, but he's, he's generally rated pretty well from what I can tell by the advanced stats as a defender. And the other thing that he's really been his calling card is that the Wolves have just been absolutely awful without him on the court for the past two years. So that's something that you could look at and maybe talk yourself into Ricky Rubio, but at the same time, he's always had awful backups and 
I it's just hard to construct a situation where a team is improved that much by taking on a non-shooting ball dominant player. So sort of like I was saying before, I'm glad that they're talking to other teams about potential point guard deals, but I'm not sure that this is the one and I am glad that the Pistons don't seem to think this is the one either. Yeah, this was, of course, kind of debunked by Stan Van Gundy, who came out to the media and said that he did not have any plans on trading Reggie Jackson for Ricky Rubio. There was a conversation between the organizations, so I I think that's interesting that at least the team is on the phone. I'm sure they are this time of year, Uh, but it was good to hear that as a fan, and I think good as well to hear that this is not the exact move that the team is thinking about uh, at this time. I, I, I kind of appreciated that. And Ben, you're right. If Shabazz Muhammad is the sweetener, I'm not sure where he finds his minutes unless the team was looking at playing some small ball. I'm not sure he would necessarily have a role because I think his minutes right now go to KCP, Marcus Morris, you know, um, Reggie Bullock, and Stanley Johnson. I'm He's not been sure. playing as a four, I believe, in Minnesota a lot of the year. Okay, so that, that's kind of what, what I was getting to is unless you have him playing small ball four, you have someone like Marcus Morris and you're running out, you know, three wings at the two, three, and four, I'm not sure where the minutes come from. Having him at the four is kind of interesting because he is, I'm not sure if he's improved on his shooting percentages, but I know last season before the hand injury, he was shooting the ball pretty well from three-point range. Yeah, and that I think that's he's shooting up over 40% this year, which would be the reason you think about adding him him at the four kind of scares the heck out of me a little bit when you look at rebounding we've had enough challenges there this year I think um and I certainly I guess I didn't even realize he was playing at the four so so Jake I'm glad you pointed that out yeah let's talk about another trade uh this is now we're just getting into trades that are not necessarily rumored but uh, a list that was put together by by you, Jacob. So I want to run through some of these, and let's go to a trade that involves Reggie Jackson, uh, because I know Ben, you talked about how you may be interested in trading for him. Let, let's see if this if this move uh, kind of moves the needle for you at all. Reggie Jackson and our 2017 first round pick to Miami for Goran Dragic. I think, you know, with the rumors that the Pistons are looking at moving on from Reggie Jackson potentially, Goran Dragic is one of the more available players in the league. He's very good. I think he would be, in general, an upgrade over Reggie Jackson. And then if Miami likes Reggie Jackson, which I don't see why they wouldn't at this point, he has one more year left on his deal than Goran Dragic does. Uh, He's a couple years younger. I believe he's 27, and Goran Dragic is either 29 or 30. So that could make a lot of sense. They're both reasonably paid. And I think uh, adding in the 2017 first, I wasn't sure if I would need to do that, but I think with the season that Dragic is having and the fact that I think Miami is going to have a high asking price for their players, I decided that the Pistons could definitely see Dragic as enough of an upgrade and be under enough organizational pressure that they would probably include that 2017 first, because I'm just not really sure with all these players they have under contract, I could definitely see them saying, like, where are we even going to be able to play a rookie anyway? So, Jacob, from your perspective, Dragic is a guy who I have a lot of mixed feelings about. Um, so just thinking about his game in the context of the Pistons roster, what what do you see as the like definite concrete upgrades over Reggie Jackson? I think he is a much better pick-and-roll passer. Uh, his running of the offense in that 2013-14 Suns season 
I think at that point you can make a legitimate argument he was a top four, top five point guard in the league. His stats are better than Reggie's pretty much in every aspect. I mean, the older part is is a little rougher, but he's also had history, if the Pistons are able to develop a second star, he's also had a history of being able to defer to a secondary, more ball-dominant player. Uh, I'm not sure. I think they're about the same as far as how Reggie's gotten to Detroit in terms of being a spot-up shooter. Um, there's not as much of a personality clash there because Drogic's never really been the main guy or been demanded to be paid like the main guy. I don't know if it's a massive upgrade, but I think Drogic is a better, he's definitely a better finisher around the rim. He's definitely a more skilled player, and I think he's more well-rounded also. So I think he's a small upgrade. I don't know if I would do this, but I think it's enough of an upgrade that, and it's a similar enough play style for the Pistons system that I could see them giving up a pick for the swap. So, like, I mean, I largely agree. I think Drogic is a better player. I think the question is, is he incremental or significant? Um, I think the thing, the wild card for me in this is, um, is the Pistons pick going to be a lottery pick? And to me, if there's ways to throw them some protection on that pick, then maybe I think about doing it. But then if you do that, is there any interest in Miami and actually going for this deal? And obviously, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. So, um, this is one that I would think about really seriously if there were some protections um, on that on that pick because I, I, I don't think we're going to be a lottery team. I think the team's going to get healthy and make a run, and I think we're going to push on to the eighth seed, maybe the seventh seed if we get real lucky. Um, and in that scenario, I'm I'm more interested in doing that because that first round draft pick doesn't seem quite as valuable if it's not um not in the lottery yeah i would love to protect the pick too i mean the only rumors i've seen is that miami is asking for two first round picks and that made me think that they would not be so interested in the protection but i you never know with how substantive those are and whether if they've called around on Drogic and realized that his market value just isn't quite that high yeah true once they start to really work the phones they might get an idea that maybe that's too high of an asking price uh, I'm sure they're still interested in moving him this season with the way Miami Miami's season has gone. Uh, ben, you're right. I kind of gave it some thought, too, that if we could get some protection on that pick, I probably would think about doing this. Uh, even with Drogic being 30 years old, uh, I, I think um, what Jacob said, being a better pick-and-roll ball handler and being able to finish at the rim, uh, the, that for me would be a huge upgrade over Reggie Jackson, at least what I've seen this season from Reggie. Uh, but if we could get that even top 10 protected on the off chance that we really kind of, you know, there were some growing pains once we made the trade and, you know, we dropped a few games and ended up in the top 10, it would be nice if we could even get that type of protection on the pick. Uh, and I, I would consider if it was top 10 protected, but Jacob, I think you're right. This would have to be a move that would include a pick, uh, if we're getting, if we're getting Goran back. Let's let's talk about Ish Smith. There's two interesting trades here for for Ish Smith. Uh, the first is Ish Smith and our 2017 first round pick that is top 15 protected to the Los Angeles Lakers for Lou Williams. Jacob, go ahead. Uh, pretty simple. We're buying an upgrade on backup point guard. We're buying a guy who can also possibly switch over and play the two in a closing lineup. Um, spoiler alert, I don't know if you want to keep this in, but another guy that I'm interested in trading for is Jeremy Lin. Uh, Lou Williams is a similar type of player. Perhaps you could pay a little bit less for him, um, depending on 
depending on sort of what the team is demanding. Lou Williams, sixth man of the year caliber sort of guy, is the kind of guy who can provide the shot in the arm of offense, either spotting up or running the, the pick and roll. Uh, I wasn't quite sh- I thought a first round pick was too rich, so I protected it. I'm assuming it would be protected for a couple of years, and then possibly the protection would bump down to like top top five protected or something by the third year, either that or it would convey to a couple second rounders or something. And then Ish Smith, you know, gives them somebody to be a stopgap backup point guard. You know, figure may as well give Ish Smith another team to play for. He hasn't played for enough teams already. <laughs> it would be weird for him to be in the same place for a full season. Exactly. Sure he yeah. can handle it. Yeah. <laughs> ben, go ahead. Yeah, this this one's interesting. I I think Lou Williams is a pretty decent player and I think a guy who I think has come to his own as he's he's gotten older. Um I think he's aged pretty well. The the question well, I have two questions if we do this trade. Or not if we do this trade, but to think about when considering the trade. The first one is I think Bino is Beno, Bino, I never know how to say his name. Beno Udre. I think he's been pretty good for the Pistons this year. And I don't understand why Stan hasn't given him more of a chance at backup point guard. So the reason I bring that up is because if if the goal is to improve backup point guard, I think there's a real chance that we already have someone on the roster who can be an upgrade. Obviously, that's not a long-term upgrade. That's a very short-term, this-season sort of upgrade. Um, The second thing I would think about is... Are he and Reggie Jackson very, very similar players? And the one good thing I think about Ish, well, not the one good thing, but one of the best things about Ish Smith in Detroit this year is that his approach to running the offense is almost the exact opposite of Reggie Jackson's in the sense that he is a pass-first player almost to a fault sometimes. And I think that's refreshing, and I think that works particularly well with a guy like Tobias Harris because... Um, as Tobias has moved to the bench unit, he's really blossomed because he's been the focal point of that second unit. So those would be the two things I would think about as potential weaknesses, but I think it's pretty clear that Lou would be a pretty pretty significant upgrade over, over-ish. Uh, and then the other thing I, w- I would think about, and I'll make it a third thing I would think about, is is Lou Williams better at times than Reggie Jackson? Is he actually a better player sometimes? Um Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. I know he's pretty much had a reserve role uh, of late, um, but I don't know. He might. He might be. At least he's a better scorer. I think. Uh, I don't know if he's a better point guard necessarily, uh, and I, I don't know if he would necessarily play point guard all the time uh, in no. the context of the Pistons' second unit. Um, so yeah, those would be the three things I would think about, and I would say. Overall, this is um, if I really felt strongly that backup point guard was the thing that moved the needle for this team right now, this is a trade I would really think about. Yeah, I think of it as kind of backup point guard and backup shooting guard. Like, Lou Williams is a guy who can probably play 28, 29 minutes a game, possibly close games as your sixth man, and really he could back up, he could back up Reggie Jackson and KCP if needed. If you're staggering those guys, which I don't think they want to do, but I don't know if you'd want to cut potentially uh, Bullock or Udra out of the rotation. I'm a little bit less high on Udra than you. I mean, I think he's been pretty good this year, but I would still see Lou Williams as a much more proven player, a much more versatile player, and a substantial upgrade. I mean, he's he's the kind of guy that can 
you know, he's he's going to be doing this with smoke and mirrors to a degree. I don't know how sustainable what he's doing is late into his career, but he's a smart, he's like, I think he's an underratedly smart, heavy, heady guy who can, he can draw the foul calls. He can do the light, hardened DeRozan thing where he's able to prop up an offense by himself, you know, 60% of nights just by coming in and drawing a bunch of fouls with his weird motions and pump fakes and stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, I totally agree with you that he's a pretty significant over up upgrade over Ish Smith, and I think he would be a pretty significant upgrade over Benno as well. I just wonder if the upgrade is significant enough to warrant the first-round pick this season, given the, the context of where the team is at in terms of wins and losses and the other roster holes, I guess, would be the way. Oh, you're think. definitely right on that. I, I think, like, you look through trades in the context of, like, here's something that we can use to gather more assets for the future, or yeah. here's something that we can do to, you know, improve our team now. And I think this is something that we could clearly do to improve our team now. And like you're saying, you know, the question is whether it's worth it. And I'm not sure it is. I don't really think it is, but it really just depends on whether the Pistons can put a winning streak together. And at least with Lou Williams, you're going to have him for more than this year. Like he has another year left on his deal. I will say with this trade, Jacob, I was interested in kind of something you had mentioned. Getting someone like Lou Williams would really give the team a third guard and you could stagger the minutes. I was thinking similar to how the Clippers have staggered minutes with Chris Paul, J.J. Redick, and Jamal Crawford, and Lou Williams kind of playing that Crawford role. And you're right, he's the type of player that could be considered a, a six-man-of-the-year candidate. Uh, definitely has the scoring that can kind of catch the attention for that type of award. But I, I, I would be interested to have him play with KCP. I think that would be... That was something that I was interested in just hearing. I don't know if either of you have an opinion on that, uh, but I, I think it would be kind of it would be interesting to have the two of them play to play some of their minutes together. I think you would have to have another point guard like a Ben Udra to take some of those minutes uh, to play with a second unit. But I don't know. I kind of thought that this this would be a way to stagger the minutes and have KCP um, play on the ball more. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, that's one of the greatest benefits of KCP is you can really stick him next to any guard in the league, and he's going to make that guy, he's going to comp- be able to complement that guy's skill set reasonably well. Well, you do have another Ish Smith trade here, so I think I'll bring this one in as well because it kind of continues the conversation. Ish Smith, Henry Ellenson, and our 2017 second-round pick to Brooklyn for Jeremy Lin. So it's what kind of the same. Uh, it's kind of the same deal. And I, yeah. I didn't realize how similar these were in terms of just upgrading Ish Smith. Uh, I gave Brooklyn Henry Ellenson because they tried to sign uh, Donatus Mona Yunus. So, I mean, <laughs> we tra- we also tried to get Donatus Mona Yunus and then drafted Henry Ellenson as a potential Donatus Mona Yunus. So maybe the Nets, another team who is interested in Domo, would be... Because really, like, you try to find a trade for everybody who's significant on the Pistons, right? And you try to think of who would be interested in Henry Ellenson. And there are just too many teams with big guys. You know, Henry Ellenson probably hasn't improved his trade value from, you know, what you could get. Henry Ellenson no longer has more trade value than our 2017 first-round pick. Because, you know, once you once that pick is Henry Ellenson, he could still be a good player. But you're, you're not going to... You're not, in general, going to talk yourself into Henry Ellenson being way better than, like, a standard outcome for the 17th pick. So you look for a team that has kind of shown interest in that type of player before, and Brooklyn was kind of the obvious destination there. But, my, I mean, my criticisms of it would be the exact, basically the exact same thing. Um, 
I'm not sure that's the hole we need to fill. And this is, you know, every GM in the league wrestles with this, I'm sure. But, like, how soon is, you know, too soon to trade a kid who you drafted when he was 19 years old and has hardly seen the floor yet? Um, so with Allenson, you know, Jacob, your your rationale, I think, you know, in, in the big picture with, you know, if you had 100 pe- draft picks to choose from, the majority of them are probably not going to pan out. And so the odds are, you know, Henry Allenson isn't anything super special. But on the off chance that he is, and you traded him when he was, you know, had just turned 20, what, like a week ago or something, I think. Like, I think you're kicking yourself for a long time because he never had a chance to develop in your system. So I, I think there are things to like about Henry. I think his size and obviously his shooting fit perfectly with what Stan Van Gundy is trying to do. So to me, that's the, you know, that's the thing you have to decide is, is adding Jeremy Lin to your roster right now worth whatever Henry Ellenson might become. And, you know, you add Jeremy Lin, I, I don't know how many wins do you think he adds in the rest of the season, you know, maybe a couple. And is that enough to justify it? Yeah, and he has two more years left on his deal again, so it's it's yeah, like true. there's something more than just a buying for this year sort of thing, which is sort of the appeal of Jeremy Lin to me over Lou Williams is that you get that extra year. I think with, with Ellenson, you're definitely right. Like, I like Henry Ellenson. I think that he can definitely be a useful player in the NBA, but I think the main reason why you'd want to trade for a 2017 first-round pick is just like maybe the 5% chance that this guy's going to be an all-star. It's like, we know that Henry Ellenson can be good, but I'd, I think we can also foreclose, like, we know Henry Ellenson isn't Giannis. We know he's not Eric Blood, so we know he's not Kawhi Leonard. We know he's not that home run that you could potentially hit in the middle of the first round that just changes everything. And I think that does deflate his value a bit. That's very true. That's a really good point. Um, knowing that you, you've had him in house and you, you probably have a good idea at this point, if he's something special that you have to hold on to. Um, yeah, I I think it's a good point. Let's, uh, let's stick in the backcourt and talk about a trade for KCP. We've got a trade here, Jacob KCP and Aaron Baines to Houston for Eric Gordon. Who's good now. I watched Houston recently. He's a, he's a good basketball player. He is legitimately awesome. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was uh, a revelation for me recently. Uh, Go ahead and talk about Eric Gordon uh, and the trade for KCP. So this is a big risk, right? Like, it's you sort of need to attach Baines to get the salary of him and KCP combined into the the range, you know, 10 to 12 million bucks a year. Uh, Eric Gordon's a little bit more like that. I think you might need to toss, like, Darren Hilliard in or something to make salaries match here. But Eric Gordon right now, again, one of the best bench players in the league one of the very best shooters in the league. He might be the best shooter in the league who's not on the Warriors. And, um, yeah, I mean, adding him to this team would be gigantic. There's no doubt about it. He's older than KCP. He's not nearly as durable. He's not nearly as good of a defensive player. So the Pistons are taking a pretty big risk, too. But I think if you needed to move on from KCP, if you really decided we do not want to pay this guy, you're going to shoot for, like, getting in return an awesome shooter who's locked in at a below market value price and really is, has the ability to change your offense. And I think Eric Gordon is that guy. Uh, As far as Houston goes, KCP and James Harden is just like one of the best fits I can think of. And I think that would be just so amazing that maybe Houston would consider it. But at the same time, I don't like they're third in the East right now. They're on or third in the West right now. They're on 
pace for like 60 plus wins. I'm not sure that they would do this, but I know that they would think about it. <laughs> yeah, so Eric G- Gordon is good now, and that is also surprising because he was painful to watch his first few years in the league after being a guy who I was so impressed by when he was in college and watched. Actually, I watched a lot of him play uh, in Indiana. I think, so here's the thing. This trade is a no-brainer from the perspective of immediate impact on offense, right? I mean, Eric Gordon is a fantastic shooter. Like, if you're looking strictly at percentages, KCP rivals him right now. But the thing about Gordon is that he, he's able to get so many more shots. I think he's taking, like, nine shots a game from downtown or something. And he's able to to shoot at basically a 40% clip at that volume, which that's pretty special. And there's no question that would dramatically change the way the Pistons are able to approach offense. And not to um, interrupt you, but in just a quick note on the percentage too, Eric Gordon has been a 40% shooter for years. There yeah, is a absolutely. risk with there's a risk with KCP. He's shooting 40% this year, but you know, would anyone be shocked if he shot 33% again next year? I don't think so. Yeah, I totally 100% agree with you. Um, I think the other really good thing is the contract. He's locked up for a number of years at below market value. And I mean, essentially, so I, I think he's making like $13 million a year or something like that. Yeah, like 452 yeah, or something was the contract he signed. Yeah. So, you know, KCP is going to want 20 something million. You know, that gives that puts you, Eric Gordon, at something like 60, 65% of what KCP would make. So, from that perspective, it's also a no brainer. The only thing that gives me pause is, I don't know, the Pistons' defense, the Pistons' perimeter defense in particular, can be so bad. I don't know how a Reggie Jackson-Eric Gordon defense holds up. Um, I haven't watched a lot of Houston this year, so I haven't seen Eric's defense this year. Um, But I think, you know, he's a little bit on the short side. Um, 6'4", I mean, not, not short, short, but a little bit undersized at the two. And obviously, KCP is the only defense, the lockdown defender the Pistons have. So, th- I mean, that's ultimately the question. It, it would be, I think, a change in the philosophy uh, of how that backcourt works. But I think there's no question it's a pretty dramatic upgrade offensively. It's It puts you in a better cap position because I think, you know, the Pistons are not that far away from the luxury tax, which is pretty crazy to think about given the, that they've been so far under it for so long. So it's it's a net improvement on offense. It's an improvement relative to the cap position. The only question is, are they adequate defensively with a Reggie Gordon backcourt? No. <laughs> well, I'll in, just answer that for you. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's fair. I think your point, too, about Harden and KCP, that would be one heck of a backcourt for Houston. Um, you know, I don't know if Dale Morey would do it or not, but I, I think you're right. You'd have to think about it. I think it's interesting. It definitely improves us. I think offensively it gives us, I think, a more reliable three-point shooter, which even with what KCP is doing this year, Jacob, I agree with you. I think no one would be surprised if KCP played back to being a 35% shooter for the rest of his career. And the problem is is that the rest of his career will include $20-plus million that someone is going to be paying him this offseason. And that has to be part of the calculus if you're looking to trade KCP. It's part of the reason that I had brought up KCP trades 30, 40 games ago, uh, just because I was, I was thinking if this is someone that you're not sure, then you've got an asset you could move at the deadline. Uh, and including Aaron Baines' contract in there, 
I looked at those moves, and at the time, Eric Gordon just was not on my radar. Now that he is, I think it's definitely an interesting trade, and I would consider it uh, just because I've had I've really enjoyed watching what I've seen of Eric Gordon this season, and because of the what it, the cap potential that it kind of frees up, probably at least ten million uh, next season. That that to me is a, a pretty big difference, and I have to think it would be a difference for Tom Gores. I'm not sure if he cares. I think if you trade KCP for Eric Gordon, you have to pretty think about really seriously what you want to do with your point guard and your small forward because you're going to have to shore up perimeter defense somehow. And so if, if this trade Rubio happens, trade. what's that? Do the Rubio trade too. Yeah, <laughs> really uh, go all in on uh, on bad defenders. But yeah, I think if you do this trade, you have to be looking to make a change at point guard at some point in the pretty pretty short term I guess is how I'd put it I I mean I'm I love Boban I I don't understand why he doesn't play all of the backup center minutes right now because even though his mobility is an issue he's just such a force around the rim and with the ball in his hands like both ends of the court he's a force around the rim so no I that doesn't bother me especially because there's no way he's on the team again next season so that's fine for me can someone just answer, like, what is Baines better than Boban at? Maybe I would say lateral mobility in the pick and roll. I guess so, but he's still bad at that, like, from what I can tell. I mean, but he's probably, like, Boban's a very low bar there. Yeah, I just, you know, this this takes us off on a tangent, but we, we, we're doing sort of our mid-season grades for the Pistons right now. Uh, as a group, and to me, Van Gundy, I rated him low because, in spite of the fact that team defense is good, I just feel like he's very stubbornly not playing Bulban, who I legitimately think could make the team win more games. I think he is such a nightmare to deal with uh, for any second unit that goes even remotely slow. He's just an absolute nightmare, and he's shown that he can just score the ball almost at will when he's playing well, and to me... I would rather have teams struggling to adjust to defend him than worry about you know some of the weird matchups that he might get in in the pick and roll. I I would rather force the envelope and make the other team adjust rather than the other way around and I I just don't get my head around why he doesn't why he doesn't play all of the minutes and why we don't just trade Baines for whatever we can get. No, I, I think you're absolutely preaching to the choir there. Like, I mean, we we did the podcast when they made that signing that we thought Boban was better than Aaron Baines, and I, I haven't seen anything that really changes my mind on that because you're right. Like, I mean, you may as well throw Boban out there and see if he can be dominant like he has the potential to be. Like, if he's not being dominant or if he misses shots or he can't get to a defensive assignment, then just take him out and put Baines in. But you may as well go with the guy who you think can actually give you something that's going to change the the outlook of the game like you're saying like i i absolutely agree that like baines does not need to be playing on this team right now especially with lure at center too right is part of the reason he's playing right now because it's getting because he's being considered for a trade and this is a tryout i i mean, I've do been you think he's in, do you think he's even improving his trade value at all right now though i mean no. i don't think he is no, and that's why I can I really cannot understand. I agree with you, Ben, why at this point he's getting the backup center minutes and it's not Boban. That actually is a good transition into a trade that you had, Jacob, for Aaron Baines. And it's Aaron Baines to New Orleans for Alexia Jinsa and Philly's twenty seventeen second. So it would give the team a, a second round pick and it trades Aaron Baines to New Orleans. 
Uh, so talk a bit about what you were thinking with that trade. So Agensa is totally dead salary. Um, he was four years, 20, I believe four years, 20 million signed, not this past offseason, but the one before. He's terrible. He can't play at all. He's going to be four years of dead salary. So essentially, you're giving up Baines, which we seem to think isn't really giving up anything. So you're buying Agensa and a very high second round pick in 2017. So the way I see it, if you're paying KCP, the uh, the amount of money that we have, it's it's not really going to matter because we're going to be over the cap. You know, five million doesn't really move the needle too much. So for for about you know a Philly pick, which is pretty much guaranteed to be in the top thirty five, that can actually be more valuable than a late first round pick sometimes. I thought that was a reasonable price for giving up Baines and taking on Agents' salary. You know, I think Baines has a better path to making an impact in New Orleans just because with all this money they've spent on centers, they still don't really have any good ones. Maybe Baines could get, you know, play 25 minutes a game there. And I I just don't, they're under so much pressure. I just don't know if they care about a second round pick. I don't know if we do either, but I think if we wanted to move on from Baines, you couldn't ask for much better than a high second round pick. Ben, what do you think about that? And do you think that's a fair market price for Aaron Baines getting a high second round pick? Well, and and taking on dead salary, you know, four years, three years of dead salary for from Agenza as well as Baines. That's true, right? So I, I mean, I don't think Baines' trade value is particularly high right now. I think a year ago it was much higher. I think he's really struggled this year after putting together what I thought was a very very solid season last year as as a backup center. Um, you know, the thing that gives me pause about this is the Pistons' salary profile. Um, on the one hand. Taking on a few extra million isn't a big deal because you're already going to be capped out. So you're not you're not really hurting yourself in free agency because you don't have any cap space anyway. So all you have at your disposal are the, are the cap exceptions, uh, regardless of whether you do this deal or not. Um, I think the hope, the only other better case scenario for an Aaron Baines trade would be to include him in a um, a multiplayer trade where you're putting two or three guys together for you know, two guys together in return. And I don't know that that's particularly realistic. So, um, yeah, a second rounder is probably in realism, the best, the best you're going to get for Baines right now. And who wants to trade for him, right? Like nobody can get rid of a center right now. So the market's not helping him either. No, I don't think so. I mean, if they can't get anything for Greg Monroe, like maybe the, I don't know, maybe the, trade value is maybe they're just asking for way too much, but I just can't think of any team where it's like, yeah, Aaron Baines really changes things for this team. Like think about any team that's good. Okay. Let's move on to Marcus Morris. Uh, A few trades here, Jacob, that you've mentioned. Uh, Let's start with sending Marcus Morris to Indiana, uh, an interdivision trade, uh, that trade to the Pacers for Joe Young in Indiana's 2017 first round pick. Yeah, Marcus Morris, very cheap, still has, uh, I believe, three years left on his deal, including this one. Uh, The hard thing about Morris is he's almost so cheap that it's hard to find a good trade because, you know, most teams that would want him don't really have anything to give you back, especially if you have to match salary. So really, I think it makes the most, like the Cavs would love him, right? The Thunder would love him. They just don't really have anything to trade back, matching salary and giving something so that it's worth their while for the Pistons. So I looked for something where a team that's going for it now has some room 
and could potentially offer a first rounder that could give the Pistons some sort of upside for being a lottery pick. And Indiana was sort of what I settled on there. But obviously this is a trade that the Pistons would only really make if they're starting to fall out of it because they kind of do need Marcus Morris right now. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm starting to sour on Marcus a little bit. There's lots of things to like about Morris when he's playing well, but when he's not shooting the ball well, he just doesn't give you much else. And I think he's he would be much better suited to a smaller role. I still think he would probably be better coming off the bench um, on, a, on a strong playoff team. I, I don't think he's a starting caliber small forward on most playoff team. So I'm all about exploring him. And all of the things about his contract that Jacob just said are absolutely correct. He's such a good value that it's it's hard to trade him for anything other than a, basically a rookie salary, which is what this trade is. And Joe Young, I don't think there's anything to be excited about with respect to him as a player. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, he was, he was just to match the salary. He was just flotsam. Yeah, and so you're basically trading him for a, a pick, which the Pistons could do this if they're looking like they're going to be a lottery team. And if uh, Indiana, you know, they could be a lottery team as well. So that could potentially be two lottery picks in a very strong draft. I guess from the perspective of Indiana, does Marcus Morris move the needle for them to get to the playoffs? And that's a question I don't, I don't feel like I have a great answer to. So my question to you, Jacob, is this, makes, this trade makes a lot of sense to me if the Pistons aren't looking like a playoff team. Because I think getting a lottery pick or even a relatively middle-of-the-pack first-rounder if Indiana sneaks into the playoffs makes sense. The question I don't know the answer to is if Indiana, like right now I think they're seventh in the East as of today. We're recording this on Sunday. Does Marcus Morris make enough of a difference in their rotation to make sure that they make the playoffs or maybe help them be a threat in a first-round series? And I don't know the answer to that question. What do you think of that? Probably not, like, he doesn't ensure anything, no. I wouldn't look at Indiana with Marcus Morris and say, like, oh, they're definitely going to be a top-five team in the East now. Definitely not, but I mean, he's some depth at a position that they need. They don't really have anybody on the wing except Paul George and uh, C.J. Miles are really their only decent rotation players who aren't, you know, point guards, shooting guards, or centers. Um so I think they could look at him in a vacuum and say, we don't care about our first-round pick. Larry Bird just is all in for now. Uh, Marcus Morris, two, you know, two and a half years of him at this really low price is just more appealing to us than adding a first-round pick. I don't know if it really changes their outlook, but I could see how they would prefer Marcus Morris, if that makes sense. The question I'd kind of ask is, like, do you guys think the Pistons, like, a, do you think they will care about first-round picks? And B, like, do you think they should care? Because I don't know. It's like I'm normally like this draft guy. I love rebuilding. I love all that. But I'm just not really that excited by the Pistons getting a mid-first-round pick right now. There's always that opportunity that you could really make a splash with a, a mid-first-round pick, but it's nothing to get that excited about unless you can buy into those kind of anecdotal great players that can really move the needle for you. But I think if we're looking to make a trade that can make us better and it includes first round picks as kind of a, a sweetener to get a better player. That to me right now is more interesting because I think that helps us get closer to being a contender than trying to make a, you know, a, a, a good pick in you know, somewhere between 15 and 22 in the, in the draft. I don't know if I trust us to make a good pick in between 15 and 22 in the draft, <laughs> at least one that's going to really change it. I mean, like, 
Right. I think Stan Van Gundy knows what he's doing, but I haven't been like that. And, and I mean, like, a lot of it is just luck. But I haven't really been that impressed with his draft record, to be honest. Their philosophy appears to be draft as young as possible <laughs> and hope that these players develop three years from now. Um, th- I think that strategy has to change starting this year because the cap profile is going to be so different. They're going to be capped out. Um, basically, regardless of what they do with KCP, they're going to be capped out by the end of this summer. So the only real ways to, to make significant improvements are through trade and through the draft. So I think their philosophy has to change, and they have to look for contributors in the draft as opposed to long-term prospects, at least if they want to be a winning team <laughs> anytime soon. Um, so that, that would be the one thing that is appealing to me. The Pistons have limited assets in terms of improving. And um, if the reason they've struggled in the draft since Van Bauer took over is because their philosophy has been to go really young and hope to develop players internally, then maybe there's reasons to think that they could draft somebody who's more ready to contribute and maybe they could snag two guys out of this year's draft who could be rotation players you know, within a season as opposed to within three seasons. And if that's the case, then, then maybe it's worth doing. Um, but I, I, their draft philosophy to me is, is hard to figure out, and their record is not stellar so far. So those are absolutely good points. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a different discussion. I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with going young. I think going young is almost always better because if a guy's going to be good, it doesn't really matter how young he is. Like he's Well, if a guy's going to be a star, like 99% of stars, no matter how old they come into the league, are good within the first couple of years, like first year, second year, something like that. So I, I don't really have a problem with that. It's like they're just not really doing the greatest job of identifying guys who have the upside to really be stars. But I mean, like this team's not going to be able to add a star anywhere else except the draft. And I, so in that case, like I see what they're doing with going young, just hoping that a guy just pops after they draft him. Uh, let's stick with Marcus Morris. Uh, another trade for Marcus Morris that you had Jacob was sending him to the magic and getting back in return. Mario Hazonia and Orlando's first being top 15 protected for the next few seasons. So uh, a pretty well-protected first-round pick in Mario Hazonia for Marcus Morris. It's probably a better pick. I mean, maybe the protection could be declining in terms of, you know, maybe this pick could have more upside if you lighten the protections down the road. I'm not sure if Hazonia has really any trade value at this point, considering the team is bad. They're totally decimated by injuries, and he still hasn't been able to find his way in their rotation at all, pretty much aside from, like, I think he's averaging, like, eight minutes a game and probably not even 15 games yet this year. Maybe he's come on and shot, you know, decently well from three, but he's, you know, he's only 20 years old. He's six foot eight. He could shoot the lights out. So he's a good flyer for the Pistons. So I, I guess depending on how much you var- value Mario Hazonia at this point, that's where you would go with the protections from then on. Because, I mean, the more protected it is, the more likely Orlando is to do this trade. And they love trading with us, you know? I Well, I mean, if you do this trade, you don't have a small forward who can, who's starting caliber. And presumably because you're moving Stanley Johnson into the mix and he's just not there, at least not right now. And then you don't have a guy who's a proven backup <laughs> caliber player so I think in a lot of ways you're almost sort of giving the rest of the season you're just kind of throwing it away and saying well this you know this didn't work we got injured we're just going to write it off and, and try to take a flyer on a guy who you know maybe it works out maybe he doesn't 
so in contrast to the previous trade we were just discussing, it could take several years to see the payoff for this. And I, you know, I don't know if the Pistons have that long to wait. I think, you know, Goris has been pretty complimentary of Van Gundy, and you know, just recently there was he was pretty public about his support for Van Gundy, stay the course, and so on. But I think if you move forward without a starting caliber small forward, the odds of making the playoffs go down pretty significantly. So, you know, I'm only doing this trade if I've decided this core doesn't work. We have to rebuild. There's no sense trying to retool. Let's take a flyer and then, you know, hope we get lucky in the draft or something like that. I think that's very well said. I really liked Mario Hazonia when he was in uh, that draft and... He was the Croatian Mamba, right? He was he, he talked like Kobe Bryant. He was this like killer competitor that was I, I don't know, I thought he was great. Then I got to watch him a bit in the Olympics uh this summer. And still in limited minutes, he looked really good. Uh shot the ball well, seemed to at least pay attention and know what he was doing defensively. I I thought there was something there and then he has not played at all this season and it's frustrating because you're right, Jacob, they're kind of at a loss at this point this season. Why not give him an increased role just to see what you have? But at this point, I just I think it's too much of a risk because you don't know what's there. It's still a player I would like to see in a new place. I think he needs a new start somewhere. I thought Frank Vogel would be that start for him, but clearly it hasn't been. Uh, you know, if going from Scott Skiles to <laughs> Frank Vogel wasn't it, it, like he played more minutes under Scott Skiles, which doesn't make any sense to me as a rookie. Well, none of Scott uh, Skiles' rotational decisions make any sense, so I, I guess it's <laughs> very true. That's very true. Yeah, maybe it's just par for the course with Scott Skiles, but I, I'm I think he's someone who could use a fresh start. But I don't know if I want that to be in Detroit, just because I think it's too much of a risk if we're losing someone like Marcus Morris. Uh, if that was one of the Ish Smith trades and we were riding out Benno for the rest of the year, I would be maybe a little more interested just because I think he's worth something. And that first round pick, of course, is, has some value as well, even if we're not seeing it for a year or two. It's It was interesting to throw his name out there because it's someone that this year I've wanted to see and have not yet seen play basketball. Uh, it's It's frustrating because I really liked him when he was coming out in the draft. Morris is perhaps like... I, I kind of mentioned this, but it's it was really hard to find adequate value for Marcus Morris. So maybe he could like, maybe he could be thrown in, kind of like what Ben was talking about with Baines, kind of like a salary filler if we really needed to get to a certain number to make a deal. But I just didn't really see what was out there really for him, especially in terms of contenders that have rosters that are set. So I don't know, like um. I guess the question of what his value is is a good enough question in and of itself because sort of when I was composing this, I might have had his value at a little higher than it actually has been with how the season has played out. You know, his shot selection isn't getting any better. I think his defense has slipped a little bit. Like, yeah, he's pro- he probably isn't a starting caliber player, so his his main value is going to be from his contract. And it's really hard to find a team – that really would value his contract, but also can offer something back in return. Let's move on to Tobias Harris. You had a trade here, Jacob, sending him to the 76ers for Gerald Henderson, the rights to Furkan Korematz, and Brooklyn's 2018 second round pick. An interesting package for Tobias Harris. Go ahead and talk about that. 
An interesting package for Tob- Tobias Harris. Like, before this gets torn apart, let me just say that this is, like, way more value than Tobias Harris has been traded for in his previous two trades, which is not is not a high bar whatsoever. I, those two were both horrible trades previously, and this might be two. But uh, Gerald Henderson, $9 million a year, team option next year. Perfectly adequate rotation player who can back up the two or the three. 29 years old, probably not a guy that Philly's going to value long-term, but definitely I think he has value now, and he is on a below-market deal that you could either cut him and have him for nothing, or you can pick him up for $9 million. Furkan Korkmaz, uh, I thought he was a borderline top 15 prospect in the last draft. He's kind of like a more polished but not quite as athletic Mario Hazonia. I mean, they're both six eight white guys who can make it rain from deep. He's a pretty smooth athlete in transition. I like him. Decent flyer for the Pistons. Brooklyn's 2018 second. Uh, it's a year away, but again, it's similar to that Philly pick where it's about as good as you could hope for for a second-round pick. Philly might carp a little bit at that, but again, like I think they're they're turning their focus a little bit more towards, okay, we're... We're not as quite as interested anymore in developing our guys. We sort of have our cornerstone pieces, and you know maybe we could hit on a second-round pick, but it might just be better to add a guy like Tobias Harris who can play. He can play next to Ben Simmons. He can play next to Dario Saric in these kind of switch-heavy lineups. I think he would be a guy that the Colangelos could be interested in. And you know, if the Pistons don't want him, this is pretty good. I think it's at least decent in terms of you know moving him for a guy who's more of a three and D guy. The problem is that I think, you know, Ben will probably bring up that we now don't really have a secondary offensive creator source, and that's a very valid concern. Yeah, I would definitely bring that up. Bring that up. The two things I was going to say first, yes, you don't have a second offensive focus for the second unit or if he becomes a starter again at any point. Um, the other thing I don't think you have is any sort of good option at backup four. Because, I I mean, Henderson is not going to play the four, obviously. Um, Jacob, I know you've sort of flirted with the idea of Stanley Johnson at the four in certain scenarios in the past, so maybe that sort of comes to fruition. Um, To me, again, though, this one sort of looks like you're sort of saying this core isn't good enough, we're mailing in this season, and we're hoping that you know, I don't even know how to pronounce this guy's name because I have no idea who he is, to be perfectly honest with you. You're sort of saying, this isn't working, we're rebuilding, and, and this is the first step in doing that. So, you know, this one to me is probably the only one on the list that I looked at and thought, no, yeah, right away. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I, I have to think Tobias Harris's market value is worth more than this because his offensive game is so smooth. His rebounding is a problem. I think his defense can be a problem, but offensively, and, and you know, still, there's a lot of NBA teams that just fall in love with offense. His offense is smooth, it's dynamic, and it's it's versatile and it fits today's NBA. So, yeah, I would I would have to think this is selling low. Yeah, I think it's it's probably selling low, but I mean, it's also it's a three and D rotation guy on a totally below market deal with flexibility, and then it's a it's a it's a first round pick. And then it's as close to a first round pick as you're going to get. So, I'd, I mean, I don't think there's a lot of reason for the Pistons to do this, but I, I don't know. It was hard. To, it was hard to find a deal for him. Right. And it's like I had the low bar of like maybe the league just doesn't think this guy is very good with how he's been traded before. 
but I think he's pretty good. I don't know. <laughs> what What do you think? Like, do you think there's a team that I, I couldn't really find a way to get a first for him? And then in terms of trading him away, like everybody that I could trade him away for had a contract that was, you know, anyone with a contract around Tobias Harris's level is either kind of like pointless to trade for, or that guy is just like a superstar. Yeah, this is the issue I've ran into as well when I play with a trade machine and try to think of something for Tobias Harris. So I, I can vouch for this as well, that it, it's difficult to move if you're looking to A, get a pick, or B, get a player on a similar contract, because those players just fall into different categories. And if you're getting some, someone back that's giving you similar production at a different position, then I'm just not sure why you're doing the trade in the first place. So, uh, ben, ben, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I look at the roster, and Tobias is probably the guy that I'd want to trade the least. Um, not because I think he's the necessarily the most productive player on the team, even, but because, one, he's still so stinking young, and two, his contract just is friendlier and friendlier, mm-hmm. you know, as this, as the cap expands. And um, I think he's so versatile. I, I think he's so versatile that you can plug him in to any number of situations and, and any number of roles, which we've seen this year. And I'm just not sure that's the case for many of the other guys on the team right now. Like Reggie Jackson, for example, he only fits one sort of offense, right? It's the dribble-heavy, spread the floor, play the pick-and-roll. Andre Drummond is hardly an offensive player at all. And on down the line, we could go, right? So Tobias, to me, is that guy who I would want to hold on to because of his contract, his youth, and the versatility on offense. And then I know he's a better rebounder than he's been this year, and his rebounding numbers are improving a little bit, I think, as the year goes on. Um, So I'd want to hold on to him probably as much as anybody on the team. What is Tobias's... Tobias's role on like a conference finals team well so he's a third guy probably he's the Kevin Love of the Cavaliers in terms of their offense anyway but probably not quite as good I think he'd play a similar role for Toronto right because you've got Lowry and DeRozan carrying most of the weight and then you would have Tobias as a third guy who can play off of those guys or maybe be the leader of the second unit something like that I don't think he's like the number one guy or even the number two guy. I think he's, I think he's probably the third guy on a, a really good team. That's a good question, Jacob. Because, and I, I think Toronto is kind of a good answer, Ben, because it would be similar to how maybe they plan on using Damari Carroll as, as a you know similar type of forward. At least what they try to do with him. Like the conference finalists are going to be really really good right like Cleveland and Toronto are the the guys you expect to make it out east they're both like Cleveland is really 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 good and out west you've got you know three teams probably who um who can make a case for that maybe four depending on if you feel the Clippers Mm -hmm. can can get anything going again but even out west I think he plays a similar role except for in Golden State which is just sort of this unique case right like think about in the context of Houston's offense I think he would be really a fantastic six man for them. Um, I, I think he could work in late game situations too, because he can shoot the ball well enough to play off of Harden and stuff. Yeah. But, I think that's the, that's my issue. Like well enough, right? Like I think he's, he's, he does it well enough that he can earn minutes in those roles. But like really the thing that's special about Tobias Harris, like 
there's nothing really all that great about him if he's just going to be spotting up. Like, because then you can find yeah. guys who are better shooters, and you can find guys who are way better defensively too, right? Like, that's just the tough thing about him is he's he he kind of needs the ball in his hands. But if you're going to be like a team that's contending, you're going to have like three or four guys who are better with the ball in their hands, right? Like, that's kind of my struggle with Tobias Harris right now is that he's definitely a good piece for, like, a a mid-playoff team, but, like, he's just not good enough to have the ball in his hands on a great team. And then, you know, if you have a great team, you're going to have no reason for him, really. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong well, I think that, if... but I, I just sort of... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think in any of those scenarios, if you're thinking about a truly great team, I think the Cavs are a truly great team. I think the Spurs are a truly great team. I think the Warriors are a truly great team. He'd have a hard time. I don't think you can say he's head and shoulders better than any of the guys filling the roles that those teams need, and I think that's a totally legitimate and fair criticism. Um, the The thing to me, though, that makes him valuable is I think there are a lot of teams who would be willing to trade two of their bench guys for the production he could give you as sort of the leader of the second unit. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe I'm just misguided on that, but I do think his offense is good enough that he could be a pretty scary six man to deal with. Um, You know, that's one of the things, like when you look back at the Pistons championship teams, they were never really able to replace that after winning the championship. They were just never able to figure out how do we get production out of the second unit the way we had it you know, the expansion and the, the last memo and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, I think right now the Warriors are so good that you don't even have to entertain that question. And the Cavs, if they're healthy, LeBron is so good, you don't even have to entertain that question. But if you're one of the teams like Toronto or Houston or the Clippers or, you know, any one of those 45 to 50 win teams, like adding a guy like Tobias to your second unit might be sort of a sneaky way to push you into that contention for uh, the conference championship. Yeah, I think you're right in terms of, like, he could be a great piece for a team looking to sort of consolidate assets. Like, I totally agree with that in principle. It's just kind of hard to hard to picture when there isn't, like, a good example of that deal out there. Oh, for sure. Trading him is hard. I mean, I just, I do think, though, that, again, the reason I would keep him right now is because he's so young. And he's going to continue to be valuable in that way as a trade asset for longer than his contract lasts. So I think... You know, that's that's why I keep him because one, he produces in the short term, and two, if you decide you do want to trade him, like there are any number of teams who would jump at the chance to get him if the situation's right, even if the situation isn't right right now. Mm-hmm. And fun fact, his contract I think actually declines. Like, yeah, it does. So, want to do the last one now? Yeah, let's do the last one. So, the last trade, Jacob, that you came uh, that you came up with uh, involves Andre Drummond. And I'm excited what the DBB community has to say about this one. Uh, I, I want everyone who's listening, drop a comment and let us know what you think about the trades in general, but this one specifically. Andre Drummond to Portland for Alan Crabb, Ed Davis, Cleveland's 2017 first, along with Portland's 2017 first. All right, so Portland, it's easy to see why Portland would do this, right? Like, Andre Drummond is not a great defensive center, but he is definitely an upgrade over anything they have in-house right now. Mason Plumlee's not getting it done. Myers Leonard is awful. Uh, Ed Davis, who we're getting back, is decent, but he's not the level of pick-and-roll playmaker that Andre Drummond is. There's kind of a lot to explain in this deal, but essentially we know Portland. Damian Lillard, 
um, CJ McCollum, incredible pick and roll players who Andre Drummond will be able to run with high level creators kind of for the first time in his career, really possibly unlock his potential as a pick and roll center. I think he's a guy who fits with their timeline and really wouldn't necessarily be the answer, but I think he would be a very, very smart gamble for Portland. So in terms of what the Pistons are getting back, Alan Crabb, quite overpaid, but at the same time, he's a super young guy who's locked in for a while. He's a very high-level shooter. That's pretty much all he does, but like he's definitely a guy who's going to come off the bench, shoot 40%, hit, make solid defense. Ed Davis um, Ed Davis is basically 70% of Andre Drummond for like 10% of the price, and then you get two first-round picks as well, which Portland, Portland is struggling right now. Like They're 2017 first. That really could be like a top 10 selection. And then you get another late first rounder kind of as a, a sweetener. That's the 2017 pick that they just got from, uh, that's the 2017 first that they just got for the, their involvement in the Corver trade. So I guess like we'll go over this more. So what, what are you guys' like first impressions of this trade? This season has kind of given me probably a better idea of what to expect out of him going forward. Um, I know we've talked about the comparisons to Dwight Howard and Tyson Chandler and what type of big man Andre is going to be. Uh, it makes this trade very interesting because, Jacob, I, I'm pretty high on Ed Davis. I like him quite a bit as a player. Uh, I think he's a good rim protector. I like the energy he brings on the floor and what he gives the team defensively. So, yeah, I like Ed Davis as a player. I think that's something to me that, that makes this kind of an interesting move, as well as having Alan Crabb as a guy that's coming off the bench, relieving probably KCP and can play a bit at the 2-3. and three. It's a good 3-and-D player. And then you're getting two first-round picks as well. While the Cleveland pick is not that valuable, uh, it's still a first-round pick. And I think in this draft, I would be interested to have three first-round picks. That that's That's pretty... That's pretty valuable if you can do that in exchange for Andre Drummond. Part of it has to be, do we consider ourselves a playoff team this season? And if we do not, do we consider ourselves a playoff team going forward? And it was just because of the Reggie Jackson injury or his return from injury or some issue that we can fix in the offseason and return to being a playoff team next year. If there's any question in that, then you have to look at, of course, at the core and it starts with Andre Drummond, and this is a trade for Andre that I don't think is half bad. I, I think again, it's a tough contract and a tough player to move. And oh, it's Jake impossible! Was, it's freaking impossible! Oh, it's I mean, yeah, it's very difficult. So the fact you were able to get something like this, I, I because I've tried before, uh, I like it. I, I actually would consider. And Jacob, I'm not sure if you gave how you how you lean on this trade, but I'm kind of interested how you would lean. Uh, if this was something that was being rumored. Oh man, it's so tough, right? Like, and, and I think like, forget this trade, right? Like, I think it's hard not to dance around this question, but the question is like, what is Andre Drummond? Is he good? You know, like, cause we're sure, we're sure paying him like he's good, but he's, he's honestly had about the worst net rating on the team this year, aside from, aside from Reggie Jackson, you know, who obviously has a lot more excuses than he does. He's he's definitely regressed, you know. He's he has shown no ability to improve his defense yet. He is never going to be a good post-up player. He doesn't have the personnel around him to become a dominant pick and roll center with how Reggie Jackson puts his blinders on too much. Nobody else can really even dribble. Yeah, and he's he's making 127 million dollars. So I 
I think, like, it, it all depends. Like, if you're going to convince yourself that Andre Drummond is a star center, he's the best rebounder in the league, if he can start making a positive impact again, that's great. I want to keep him around. I want him on that contract. I, I want this guy, like, because I've been a big supporter of him for a while, but I think at, at some point, like, if this is going to be an albatross, you need to figure that out as soon as as soon as possible. Jacob, I agree with you that I would question some of the mental some of the mental aspects of him as our team leader and our best player. And after giving him this contract this summer, it cemented him as being exactly that for the next five years. And because he doesn't have and because Initially, when he was in, even just going through the draft process coming out of UConn, there were questions about his motor, how high was his ceiling, what type of big man he was going to be, and those questions have remained during his time in Detroit. And now we're we're going through a season in which, if you go by the advanced stats, this is probably one of his worst years. uh, Oh, it's his worst year, no question, in my opinion. But sure. So, if if that's the case, then I think you're you're at a crossroads with a guy who. I'm not sure what he does in that locker room that's going to be a net positive to make up for the net negative you're seeing on the floor right now. And I have to think that it's getting to a point where you're going to have to consider trading him. Moving him is a big undertaking, and that's not going to be easy. I think you have to do it sooner rather than later because you're going to get locked into the middle part of that contract, and it's going to make it difficult to move him. So I think if you're going to, as strange as it is, it's probably the first year of this deal the first two years of this deal. I struggle to find a trade Jacob for Andre Drummond at all. So finding Portland and Ed Davis is part of the return. I'm really excited about something like that. And I would consider a trade like that. Absolutely. I think it's something the front office has to consider uh, because there are some major questions and concerns that I have about Andre Drummond as our best player and our team leader. Yeah. I mean, like think about what the big man position is in the NBA right now. And think about what the implications are of giving a guy max money at that position and what a guy would have to be to to justify that and to make there be a legitimate path to being one of the best teams in the NBA through your franchise centerpiece being a guy who is so incredibly limited and at this point can't even play defense. And I, I it wasn't until I really sat down and tried to make a trade for him that I realized just like, what a massive disappointment this season has been. Cause like really everything was sort of supposed to be in place, right? Like this was supposed to be a team that was going to be solidly in the playoffs for many seasons to come. And it, it just kind of sucks that this has been what's happened because I don't think this is where like, and I don't want to say that his career is just down the tube because it isn't right. Like, I mean, he's young, he's super talented. He's been a plus, but like, the fact that he has no excuse to be such a huge net negative right now, and he has been one, that's just like, how can, I, I just don't know how you can look at this and think like, yes, the Pistons future as a team is bright because they can't, they can't really change what they have now. Which is exactly why we wanted to bring you this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be talking to you soon. 